Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. Our Sunday services have now moved online and you can tune in every week for worship, prayer and our weekly sermon by going to christchurchlondon.org forward slash church hyphen at hyphen home. We're now going to hear the talk from this week's Church at Home service. Hi everyone. Uh, One of the things that struck me about this unprecedented and very painful and difficult season for our world is it's thrown up a whole load of questions as to what life is really all about. How should we live? Should life look any different the other side of COVID-19? What should our priorities be? What are the answers to the many challenges our world is facing right now? What kind of communities should we be building as a church? And where, if anywhere, can we find hope? Well, through our talks this term, we're going to be looking at the message of the kingdom of Jesus, which grapples with many of the questions that we're all asking right now. And our hope is, as we go through these talks together, if you stick with us long enough, not only will we find answers to many of those questions, but we'll also discover a blueprint for the kind of church we're to build here in London. And today we're looking at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, and we're going to start reading together at verse 28. This is what it says. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing Jesus had given a good answer, he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, let's just pause here for a moment. A teacher of the law has been listening in on Jesus having a debate with a group of people called the Sadducees. Now, these were religious people who did not believe in the resurrection. So they had no hope in life after death. And given at this point in history, Israel was occupied by the Romans. They had little joy in this life either. They just wanted a military hero to ride in and liberate them from their oppressors. And Jesus is debating them and tells them plainly, you're wrong. In fact, the line before this verse is Jesus telling them, you are badly mistaken. You don't want to hear Jesus uh, tell you that. In other words, no, 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 there is hope. There is life after death. Uh, Let me try and illustrate this uh, with a story. Uh, In the summer of 1942, the city of Leningrad, today called St. Petersburg in Russia, was in a really desperate state. Uh, The Nazis had relentlessly laid siege to it for the best part of a year. And the people inside were hungry, grieving and broken. Uh, In fact, it said that things there were so destitute that the people were forced to eat the rats that scuttled between the rubble of the buildings. Uh, With defeat looking inevitable and no really adequate resources to fight back and the people languishing in grief, a few hungry and desperate musicians got together and decided to put on a concert for the city's broken people. So they called the city together to come and hear Shostakovich's Symphony No. 7, uh, which the composer himself had written six months earlier for this, his beloved city. On the day of the concert, the 9th of August, 1942, uh, one account said the musicians took to the stage with clothes barely hanging off them. Others were barely able to stand. But then, then they started to play. One member of the audience later wrote these words. For 90 minutes, the reservoir of emotion held back by the twin Nazi and Soviet forces of tyranny, or that reservoir of emotion, it burst forth in a flood of cathartic tears. When the music ended, there was not a sound in the hall. Silence. Then someone clapped at the back. Then another. Then there was thunder. 
One of the clarinet players later recounted, he could still hear the thunder of the applause many years later. That will be the last image before my eyes when I die, he said. Uh, before the concert, the musicians put loudspeakers around the city so the world outside could hear this amazing music. It's said that when the invading forces heard the beauty of the music in that moment, they knew they couldn't win, that this city, this kingdom would never fall. Well, that's something of a metaphor to give a picture of what Jesus's kingdom is really all about. Uh, the world that Jesus was born into was not so different from the one we live in now. It was all about power and strength, about ambition and glory. It was a world marked by inequality and pain, of brokenness and uncertainty, of despair and confusion. And Jesus came not to fight on the world's terms, but to, so to speak, play a better kind of music. To the Sadducees and those like them who say there is no hope. There is no guarantee of life after death. There's no resurrection. Or to those who believe the world's problems will be solved by military power or political influence or catchy hashtags or human strength, Jesus would say, you are badly mistaken. I've come to play a better kind of music. To those who feel worn out or zoomed out or beaten up by life, Jesus would say, I have come to connect with your soul. I've come to give you real and lasting life. You don't have to strive on the world's terms anymore. I've come to offer you something altogether better. More than that, much, much, much more than that. The kingdom of Jesus is a powerful statement to the enemies of God, the invading forces, so to speak, of sickness and fear, of death and destruction, of loneliness and pain that they cannot and they will not win. Coronavirus and death will not have the final say in the story that we are living right now. If you're going through a tough season right now, this is not the end of the story. There is hope. This is just a taste of the debate that Jesus is having with a group of Sadducees in Mark chapter 12. And a teacher of the law is listening in on this and he likes what Jesus is saying. And so he ends up asking this question. Of all the commandments, which is the most important. In other words, yes, Jesus, this is my vision of the kingdom too. So tell me in a nutshell, how do I get it? Give me a soundbite, Jesus. Simplify it for me. What do I have to do to get hold of this life? I guess whether we are religious or not, whether we have faith or not, we are all grappling with a version of this question. If Jesus is offering real and lasting life, how do I get hold of it? What do I have to do? Here is what Jesus replies. Verse 29. The most important commandment, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding and with all your strength. And to love your neighbour as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. If I want to find the music on offer in the kingdom of Jesus, so to speak, the life, the joy, the peace that represents Jesus's answer is actually really simple. Love God and love people. Now, later on through this series, we're going to focus on the latter, loving our neighbour, loving others. 
So today I want to focus on the most important priority of all, loving God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength. What might that look like for us? Uh, One of the books that's really influenced me over the last year or so uh, is a book by Dallas Willard called Living in Christ's Presence. It just looks at what does a day-to-day relationship with Jesus look like for us? And one of the points he makes is one of the mistakes we can make in church life is we often measure people's faith. Uh, We often measure people's spiritual maturity, but by what I might call the depth or the extent of their devotional practices. How long do you pray? How often do you go to church? How much do you serve? How many Zoom calls do you attend? Of course, the problem is, if you did this in Jesus' day, who would win by those measures? The Pharisees and the Sadducees would win. The smug, self-righteous, religious elites. You know what? We have to. We have to measure people's faith, people's spiritual growth and maturity in such a way that the Pharisees do not win. Uh, He ends up telling a story in this book of uh, joining an Ignatian prayer group so he could grow in the discipline of prayer. So they would commit to pray every single day and once a week they'd meet up to share their learnings and feedback on how it was going. And he tells a story of one day a guy coming in and boasting to the group, I have now prayed for 32 days in a row. Isn't that amazing? Well, the lady who was running the group, a lady by the name of Sister Jean, she looked him in the eye and said, in that case, tomorrow, don't pray. Tomorrow, don't pray. Why? Well, because prayer for him had become more about religious activity doing stuff and it made him feel good. Look how amazing I am, rather than a loving relationship with an amazing God. That's part of what this exchange in Mark chapter 12 is getting at. You see, for many people, faith, church, it's all about what's described here as burnt offerings and sacrifices. Loads of religious activity, attending meetings, serving, praying for hours on it. Oh, it just sounds so heavy. Mark chapter 12 reveals there's something way better than that. And it's this, loving God, relationship with him. Right now, we're at the start, not just of a new term, but a new academic year. If you want this talk in a nutshell, I just want to call us as a community to make loving God our number one priority. Relationship with him is what life is to be all about. In 1924, George Bernard Shaw wrote a play called St. Joan. It was all about Joan of Arc. And in the play, there's this scene where the newly crowned King Charles, he rages at Joan of Arc, wondering, what does God speak to the saint and not to him? And he says this, oh, your voices, oh, your voices. Why don't they come to me? Why doesn't God speak to me? To which Joan of Arc replies by saying this, ah, but they do come to you, but you do not hear them. You have not sat in the field until evening listening for them. If you prayed with your heart and listened to the thrilling of the bells after they stopped ringing, you would hear the voices as well as I do. In other words, relationship with God is available for anyone who wants it. And God can speak to any of us just as easily as he spoke to Joan of Arc. For King Charles, he just wants God for his own selfish ends, a bigger army, a larger kingdom. Joan of Arc, she wants God for his own sake. I just want relationship with him. That is what I want to call us to. I find it interesting that the Old Testament passage Jesus quotes here uh, is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, which talks about loving God with all our heart, soul and strength. Here in Mark 12, Jesus adds a line. 
I imagine this would have sounded very interesting to the Jewish listeners who'd have been very familiar with the book of Deuteronomy. And the line he adds in is about loving God with all our mind. Now, truth told, I don't know how significant this extra line is. The Bible commentaries are pretty foggy on this, to be honest. But I wonder if Jesus includes this because of the essential part the mind plays in loving God with all our heart, soul and strength. You see, if I'm to love God with all my strength, I have to make a conscious decision to involve God in my work and in my service. If I'm to love God with all my heart, I have to decide to bring to God my joys and my sorrows to submit my emotional life to him. If I'm to love God with all my soul, I've got to think through, how can I best relate to God? We're all wired differently, so I guess we all connect with God differently. What is it for me? Is it silence? Or is it liturgy? Is it music? Or is it serving others? Is it study? Or is it getting out into the beauty of God's creation? You see, when it comes to loving God, Jesus isn't talking here about mindless religious activities, attending meetings, burnt offerings and sacrifices. He is talking about a vibrant, living, loving relationship with an amazing God. This is what it's all about. Now, I remember a story years ago by Eugene Peterson, the author of the Message Translation of the Bible. And he tells a story about getting a call from his son. Mom, dad, we're pregnant. It's our first child. And this was significant for him because this would be his first grandchild as well. His wife, Jan, was hugely excited. Strangely, he wasn't. He was like, I've got three children. Why should I be excited about my first grandchild? But he said to his wife, what's wrong with me? Why am I not excited? To which his wife replied, oh, it's because you've never been pregnant. He was like, well, that's really helpful, isn't it? What on earth can I do about that? And she looked him in the eye and she said, go and build a cradle. Go and build a cradle. So he did. He writes this. When I got home, I went to the public library and found pictures of cradles. I decided on an early American hooded cradle. I sketched out plans, went to a speciality woodshop and chose some Honduras mahogany. Most afternoons, I came home an hour or so early and worked on that cradle. I decided to finish it with applications of tongue oil. I worked on each piece with the finest grade of sandpaper over and over, each application deepening the colour. I worked with each piece of that cradle, shaping it, holding it, rubbing it, all the time anticipating the baby that would be in it. He then says this, Jan's prescription worked. I got pregnant. Week after week, I imagined the baby that would soon be swaddled in that cradle, praying in gratitude and anticipation for the life in our daughter-in-law's swelling womb. By the time the cradle was ready, I was ready, prepared to receive the gift of new life. How do I love God with all my heart, mind, soul and strength? And how do I therefore enter into the kingdom resurrection life that he offers? My advice to you, especially if you're not feeling it right now, go build a cradle. Consciously write a list. How can you involve God in your work and in your play? Bring Jesus to mind this week when you're shopping or when you're cleaning or when you're walking down the street. Father, are you up to anything? What do you have to say to me today? How can I partner with you in what you're up to right now? Talk to Jesus about the stresses of your present and your unfulfilled dreams of the future. 
Why not make a decision this week? You know what? I'm going to try and imitate Jesus's way of life in the way that I treat others, serving the needy, being generous with my positions. I'm going to offer hospitality to someone I ordinarily wouldn't. My challenge is go build a cradle. And maybe metaphorically speaking, some of you will end up getting pregnant this week. Now, this is just a metaphor, nothing more. Don't get too excited. It's just picture language. But maybe as you give yourself to involving God in all of life, you'll begin to receive the life of God in here as a result. You know, I'm challenged by what author Susan Ertz says, if you know her work. She says that many people long for eternity with Jesus when they haven't got the foggiest clue what to do on a wet Wednesday afternoon. Oh, that that is so often me. I think to myself, oh, heaven with Jesus sounds nice. An end to all my problems. And I forget that relationship with him starts now. I don't have to wait for eternity. I don't even have to wait for a wet Wednesday afternoon. I can know and enjoy the life of God right here and right now. You know, one of the lies of the spiritual life, one of the lies that we can so easily believe is that Jesus's way is difficult. That the spiritual life is difficult. No, 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 no. Jesus's way is the easy way. It's when I try and do life without God, that's when it gets difficult. You know, I, I have no idea what this next year will bring. Uh, is 2020 just a blip? Will things slowly go back to the way they used to be? Or has 2020 changed things for the foreseeable future. None of us know that, of course. Uh, what I do know is this, and Jesus was very, very clear on this. Externals, a bit material possessions, success in the workplace, an end to all my problems, even great spiritual externals, revival, explosive church growth. None of that is an answer to the longings in my heart relationship with Jesus. Why? Because he's amazing. I want to call us to that more than anything else. That's our number one priority. My prayer for us as a church are they love Jesus there. That's what we ought to be about. How do I love him with all my heart, mind, soul, strength? Build a cradle. Involve him in all of life. More than anything else, I want to call us as a community to that. I want to finish now by praying for us. I think that's the very best thing that I can do. If you're a follower of Jesus, you might want to use this prayer as an opportunity to recommit your life to God. If you're like me, maybe there are areas where you need to repent, where Jesus hasn't been first. This is a moment where we can reorder our priorities. And if you don't have faith right now, but you are intrigued by the person of Jesus, maybe you want to use this prayer as a way of taking a step closer to him. Maybe you want to say, you know what? I'm wearied by the world. I want to try following Jesus right now. You can do that. And I want to encourage you to get prayer on the back of this talk too. But as I pray now, why don't you close your eyes just as a way of blocking out all other distractions. Now often, and I say this repeatedly, I open your hands as a way of saying, like, God, I'm open to you. It's like the opposite of this, like, God, if you're there, I want to meet with you. And it's my conviction that God will meet with many of us as I pray now, not because my prayer is special, but because God loves us very much. And he wants relationship with us way more than we will ever do with him. So let's take this moment now to connect with God. Holy Spirit, 
I just invite you to come now into this moment. And in the midst of our busy lives, we want to set aside some time now to reorder our priorities and make loving God the, the main thing. I want to say sorry. We want to say sorry. Where you have not been the first priority in our life. We want to change that now. And by your spirit, I want to pray that you'd speak. That we'd experience your love. Where we've picked up the burdens of the world. Where we are wearied by life. May that heaviness go now in Jesus' name. And may we follow you on the easy way. Come, Holy Spirit. As we worship now, continue to meet with us. Throughout this term, that we know your presence in all that we do, not just when we gather for church, but in our work, in our play, in our family, in our friendships. Jesus, be number one. Oh, we love you. And just as in that play, you spoke so clearly to Joan of Arc, speak to us now, call us again. Remind us of the great adventure you offer. More of your presence, Lord, I pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this talk from the Christchurch London podcast. To hear other talks or find out more about our Sunday services, head to ChristChurchLondon.org.